Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entree Architect membership has monthly training, unlimited access to business resources, a video library, and a private member forum with hundreds of entrepreneur architects just like you. Everything you need to build a better business is available now at Entree Architect. Subscribe today at entrearchitect.com slash join. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 279, and you may have heard about this week's guest, you may have even used his popular web-based tool to help research codes for your latest project. You may have even heard the news that his company is battling with the International Code Council for the legal right and privilege to use the content of the codes in association with his products and services. That's a very interesting story, and if you want to hear my interview with him about that battle, search it up over at the Entree Architect community, our free private Facebook group because we're not talking about that here. On this week's episode, how to take your concept for a product or service and build it into a successful new company with Scott Reynolds of UpCodes. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto, Easy Online Payroll, benefits, and HR built for the modern small business. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more. And FreshBooks, 
the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Scott Reynolds, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. You're welcome. This is going to be a, a good conversation. We had you on the Facebook group not too long ago in the in the in the uh, Entree Architect community in the Facebook group, um, talking about you know your battle with the International Code Council and their lawsuit with you. But I you know I'm I'm not interested in that conversation here. I'm I'm interested in upcodes and how you built upcodes and and uh, and where you're planning on going with it. Before we get into that conversation, uh, I want to introduce you. Uh, Scott Reynolds is uh, a co-founder and CEO at Upcodes. Upcodes is uh, software workflows to manage building code compliance. So it's a code software. Um, Scott comes from a background in architecture, having worked several years in Hong Kong and New York City, focusing on international products, uh, projects. Um, so he's an architect. You know, he, he's, uh, he leveraged his background in architecture to uh, launch and scale a a startup serving our industry, the AEC industry. Uh, Upcodes went through Y Combinator, which I'd love to talk about while we're talking about here, because that's something I'm interested in, and uh, now serves over 200,000 monthly active users. So today we're going to talk about ideas. That's what we're basically going to focus on here. Um, ideas. And I said that you're an architect. You're not a licensed architect, right? You never. That's correct. Right? Yeah, not, not a licensed architect. Clarify that because we get some of the right. listeners are touchy about that that topic. Um, and so, you know, went to Syracuse School of Architecture, graduated, worked in architecture, and then came along Upcodes and sort of took over your life. Um, so before we get into that conversation about Upcodes and, and where it came from and how you're building it, uh, let's start with your origin story. Let's start with where everything started. Let's talk about what, um, when did you discover your passion for what you do and give us the, the origin story from that point to where you find yourself today? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it starts pretty early on in, in high school um, in AP art. My, my teacher saw that I was, I was pretty interested in, in, in art, but also structures and made a lot of models and, and sculpture and suggested I, I try out um, an architecture pre-summer college program. Um, happened to be Syracuse, where I'd, where I'd end up going. And so I went to the program, just absolutely loved it, uh, loved the design, loved the projects and the, and the workflow. Um, so applied to school, got into to the architecture school at Syracuse and uh, did my undergrad there. And I absolutely loved it, um, loved the whole process, loved the creative problem solving, 3D, 3D problem solving, um, would go on to graduate and went to Hong Kong, like, like you mentioned, and really got a first taste of what it's like to work in practice. And, and what is the difference between academia and practice? And I think there's a huge chasm or huge split between the two. In academia, it's, it's very uh, focused on on design, at least in, in the school I was at. And in practice, you re, you real or you come to the realization there's a lot more real world uh, parameters around these projects, whether it's budget or in this case, uh, building codes. And I just felt vastly underprepared for, for the reality of, of the practice. Um, and a little bit frustrated in that. Um, so I worked a couple of years in, in Hong Kong. I, I transferred over to New York City. So I got a taste for both um, international projects, but also domestic projects here in the U.S. and and was pretty frustrated with with that process of applying the building codes, understanding these these regulations. It seemed like a very analog um, manual process and very prone to errors. Um, and I was looking around at other 
uh, friends that had gone into other professions and had these interesting tools around them that they were using to make themselves more effective. And I said, hey, look, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we could bring some of these interesting workflows or, or tools and new technology to architecture and specifically building codes? Um, so that was kind of the genesis or what inspired um, the concept for, for upcodes. And it was during that time I reached out to my brother, Garrett, who at the time was working at PlanGrid, uh, which is another uh, construction-related startup, um, recently acquired by, by Autodesk. Um, but this was many years ago. He, he was early on there. And I reached out to him. I said, hey, do you think we can apply technology to architecture and in this case, building codes to create a structured workflow around it? And that's really what kind of created the, the genesis of, of upcodes. So, so to talk, talk about upcodes and what is it and how do you, how do we use it? Cause it's not just the, it's, I mean, it's not just taking the building code and throwing it on the internet. Um, the way we started before we had the internet, we had a bunch of books on, or actually one big giant thick book on the shelf. And when you needed to apply the code, you read through the code and looked for the section you were looking for. Hopefully you found it. Hopefully it was up to date. Um, you apply it to your, to your drawings and you move on. Um, and today the building code is getting bigger. You know, you have multiple volumes of building code. Um, it's now uh, available on the internet in different forms. Um, and so what is upcodes and, and how, how are we using it? Yeah. So, so, just like you said, um, the, the world of, of building codes is only getting more complex. So it, it, every year there's more and more codes added. And I, th I believe it's McKinsey. I think they said there's something like 90 some thousand uh, different building codes throughout the U.S. in terms of local municipalities. Uh, so it, it only gets more and more difficult to to follow. And what we do is take as much of those regulations as we can and put it into one place, uh, make it a little bit more uh, searchable, uh, build collaboration tools around that. So really, like you said, it, it, yeah, we, we put the codes online, but that's just the first step. Right. Um, really, the, I think the real value comes from the, the, the workflow around it, the user interface, uh, the user experience. So the ability to search, to hyperlink through, get previews for the hyperlinks, ability to bookmark, comment, and really create that workflow or collaboration that I think is essential to, to getting your project out the door. Yeah. And, and go ahead. I was just going to, um, uh, add on to that. Then we introduced a second product and one that we're working on currently upcodes AI, which is taking that to the next logical step. So starting to automate or, or create a, um, spell checker for compliance in BIM models, uh, specifically Revit models. And, I, I don't know if automate is the right word. It's more of a design aid. So just a kind of a tool in the architect's tool belt that they can use just at someone to look over their shoulder and, and, and catch potential um, code errors as, as they design. Um, kind of like writing an email and getting a, a little uh, underline under any potential um, misspelling of a word. So, so like a spell checker. So, as, so if you, you're building a, a Revit model and you've, you uh, put in windows at a certain height, it's going to flag that as a, a potential code violation? Right, exactly, yeah. So, so we'll take uh, the, the raw geometry, but also the metadata, so all that information yeah. behind BIM and what makes the BIM so, so valuable, and we'll, we'll mine that to look for potential code errors. So just like you said, uh, like, like if a window is too, too tall, uh, if a hallway is too, too narrow, a door too narrow, um, push-pull clearances aren't, aren't quite right, uh, turning radiuses in, in bathrooms. So all these like 
what we consider low hanging fruit, but is actually pretty easy for us to look at a model and assess if, if this is compliant or, or not compliant. And, and, and so you said you're working on that now. That's not yet available. Um, so we are working on it and it is also available actually. Okay. Um, we, we view it as a multi-year project. So a lot like self-driving cars, very, very difficult problem to solve. And I think is a multi-year endeavor. Um, but for us, it's, it's nice that we can actually release that product before it's at a hundred percent completion. So is it technically um, in a beta? Uh, we actually just came out of beta so a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. So we, we reached a 1.0, uh, where we were pretty comfortable with, um, with the limited set of checks we checked today. So we have about 50 checks, um, and they're getting more and more reliable as we go. But, um, but it is early days and there's a huge long road ahead of us to keep building more and more intelligence yeah. into the system. Yeah. Very interesting. We we've had, um, uh, Robert Yoon from Monograph is a friend of mine. And I know he's a friend of yours as well. Right. Um, and uh, and we've had him on the podcast several times. And and one was talking about Monograph and the the process of getting that idea into fruition. And I, I want to talk about that with you as well. Of of you know when you had that idea, that sort of spark. You're working in the industry. You're frustrated with this this outdated process of building codes. Um, and, and, uh, you have this idea to turn it into something, into software, you know, not necessarily build it into a big business or a big company, but you have a solution, a software uh, solution. Um, and so you reached out to your brother who had, who had the, the technology experience. Uh, not everybody has a brother who has technology experience, but that would probably be the next step, right? Is so what I wanted to talk about here in terms of this, the, the subject uh, of, of our conversation is how do you take that idea? Architects, I think, have ideas. We're very creative people. So we always are always having these ideas and how we can solve these bigger problems. Um, how do we take that idea and take it to the next step and then the next step and then the next step and get it to the point where, you know, we might have a company like Upcodes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you said, um, I, I was quite fortunate that my brother also had a technical background. Um, so one of the, one of the big challenges will be for, for any architect to get a business off the ground. If it's, if it's tech related is to find a partner or son that can actually implement that, that solution. Um, so I think there's a couple ways to do it. One is, and I think the best way is to find an equal stake partner who will be the CTO and lead the technical side. Um, short of that, you can also hire, you can, you can look abroad, you can look for affordable developers who can develop it. And really early days, you're just focusing on what we call an MVP or most viable product or sorry, minimum viable product. Um, and it's basically taking your concept and paring it down to the absolute uh, most basic form of that just to prove that this is something people need and people will use. So early days is all about proof of concept, um, getting a little bit of traction, getting some interest. Um, and then you can use that to leverage and go find that technical partner. You can say, look, um, I've identified an issue. Uh, this is an interesting product we can bring to market. I've got a little bit of traction, uh, and I think you should jump on board. So it's a nice way to get people on. It's also a great way to recruit uh, even your first couple of employees. And ultimately, if if you want to grow into a very big business and you want to go down the venture backed uh, route, which is which could or could not be a good decision depending on the company. But if that is where you want to go, that early traction is going to be critical. Um, to to prove to the VCs that that you're worth investing in and it, this could become 
um, become a business. So if you can take your idea and turn it into this minimal viable product uh, on your own, you do that. And then with that idea and it's, it's working at a very minimum level, um, then you go and find a, a technical partner. Yeah, I think it, I think it could be done in, in a variety of formats, but that that is probably the easiest. Um, I, I think too often people start working and actually executing on their end product before they validate any of their assumptions. So um, thinking very abstractly, if, if you're an architect, you're probably going to be a product type of person, a domain um, expert, and the onus is going to be on you to validate the market and do a lot of the research. So that's better done upfront before you write any line of code. Mm -hmm. So I think it just naturally tends to work out that you as the architect will need to put that upfront investment in, uh, do a lot of research, talk to a lot of users, put together mock-ups uh, and plans of what this might look like before the, the technical side of, of your startup will, will write even a single line of, of code. Um, so if you, I mean, of course, if you know a technical person and you can get them on board right away, that's best case scenario. Uh, but next best is is start in, get some proof, and then and then bring them in once you've done all that initial research. If you if you don't know a technical person and you you said you can go abroad and get a develop find a developer and and work with that way, or if you want to bring in a technical partner, how would you find that technical partner? You know, you're you're in San Francisco, you're sort of surrounded by technical people like that. Um, but if we're on the East Coast or we're somewhere where we don't have that direct access at the coffee shop, bumping into developers. Um, yeah, right. What, what, what do we do? How do we find that person? So I think meetups are, are a great way. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of uh, communities where a lot of like-minded folks are coming together, things like hackathons. Um, so you'll find people in a very similar um, state or men mental state that, that you're in. Um, and it, I think it can be a great way to find technical people. Um, that, that's what I've heard to be the most successful if you don't have someone in your immediate uh, network. Uh, just just getting out and meeting as many people as you can and meeting as many potential partners as possible. And I'll add on quickly, it it helps to start that from from day one before you like ideally you've started that process before you actually need to bring a technical person on. So you've built out your community and you've built out your network. Um, it, it just takes time to meet as many people as, as you can. And you want to be very selective um, and you're going both ways. That person should be selective in who they work with. And you want to have very complementary skill sets. So you might have a really good friend who has uh, maybe a technical expertise in certain sides, but might not be the best person for that particular product, mm -hmm. uh, for instance. So just having a, having a larger network that you can, you can draw on and you can have potential partnerships, I think, um, goes quite a far way. Right. And then so once you have a product that sort of works at a minimum level, um, do you sort of, I mean, I guess you, you start testing it at a small level, right? And sort of just throw it out to your own community that community that you've built. See if see how it works. Get some feedback. Develop it. Keep working on it. Um, what kind of time investment is that? Because I think that's the thing that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. That if they want to sort of build this as a parallel business to their architecture firm, what type of time commitment are they going to need to commit to it? And is that realistic that you're going to do this and stay an architect? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and and I think it, it it probably boils down to the actual idea or or the the actual problem that's that's being solved. I I think there are some products that can have minimal amount of time invested into it, but I think that's pretty unlikely. 
um, from from what we've experienced and what, from what we've seen, most of these products take an enormous amount of time to to get off the ground. Uh, so it's I, I wouldn't um, uh, uh, underestimate the amount of time it takes to to launch these these products. And actually, a, f- a funny story from that Upcodes was actually originally meant to be a side project. It was I, I was in architecture and I was quite interested in in the technology side and specifically the overlap between the two industries. And Upcodes was something I worked on uh, late at night, all through the weekend to get this off the ground. And and it was a it, just like you said, it was a parallel project to to my main job working or working as an architectural designer. Um, and it started to get more and more traction to the point where we thought it was a proof of concept enough that it justified both of us leaving our respective jobs. Um, so, so it was actually exactly the playbook that, that you described, doing it in parallel with your current job, um, and then once it has enough traction, uh, committing to it and launching. Yeah. It was, was that decision to leave architecture and pursue the technology company, was that a difficult decision for you? You, it, it's, it's, um, it was pretty scary. Um, cause you know, as, as an architect, you have, I think a, a fairly clear career trajectory or, or, you know, the steps you should go through and you're, I think, or at least I was thinking about my resume and, and, and how to build that out. And I, I think f- forefront of, of my thoughts was, you know, if I leave for, for a year or two, what will that look like on my resume? What will the, what will the impact be to, right. to my career trajectory as, as an architect. So it was, a, it was a little bit scary, um, but definitely very exciting. Um, I like learning new workflows and, um, um, new ways to approach problems. And this was an opportunity to learn an entire new skill set and new, new tools. Um, so it was both pretty scary, but also, um, pretty, pretty interesting and, and exciting at the same time. Yeah. I mean, and you didn't know what it would ultimately become. You only had an idea that there's this potential that it had, um, you're, you've just gone through architecture school, which is not easy. You've, you've invested a bunch of time and money into your career and you get to a certain point where now you have to decide, am I going to pursue this or am I going to pursue that? Because upcodes is going to be much bigger than something that you can handle and continue your, your career as an architect. So you had to decide one or the other, um, I can, I, architects are so invested at, as, as being architects and being identified as an architect that that decision is more than just, you know, a, mon- a financial decision or a career decision. It's a, it's an identity decision. Um, and, and that is, was that a difficult, I, I, was that a difficult decision in terms of that, of the identity of, of saying, okay, I'm not going to be an architect. I'm going to be a CEO of a tech company. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I think um, I think anyone who who does architecture from from an early age or even from school ha, um, has a very um, romantic idea of, of the architect, and and then you and then you get into that profession, and it, it is very hard to to leave. And I, and that was that was um, and not as you mentioned, I'm not a registered architect, but at least being involved in these in these architectural projects, I think it was very prestigious for for myself, and I. I, I, I did really enjoy that. So you're absolutely right. That, that was another factor that makes it harder or at least for myself to, to leave and to jump into a tech product. Um, and chances are you're, you're going to fail. Uh, most, mostly startups don't, don't work out. So you, you take a leap of faith and you, you, you kind of, you pray and you hope that it's going to, it's going to work. Um, 
Uh, so, so it's a, I think it's a, it's a very real and, and justified fear when you take that, take that launch. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, I think architects have a lot of, like I said, they have these ideas, they think they can turn them into something bigger and, and better, but when they get to that, to that barrier of saying, okay, am I going to choose one or the other? Um, that becomes a very difficult conversation. Like you said, architecture has this very defined path. The tech company has a very undefined path. And so uh, it's, it's difficult. We will be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Gusto, Arcat, and FreshBooks. If you own a business or know someone who does, you probably know that us small firm business owners, we wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some, like filing taxes and running payroll, not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old school clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses work. But Gusto is. So let Gusto wear one of your many hats. You have better things to do. Listeners to the Entree Architect podcast get three months free when they run their first payroll, try a demo and see for yourself at entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash G-U-S-T-O. It's what every professional in architecture dreads. Editing down a manufacturer's specifications. Did that just make your skin crawl? Did that just make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? You're staring down a 54-page specification and you just need one product. Just one product and all of its attributes. That's all you need. There is a better way. And it's not throwing the entire specification into the project documents. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of money. It's rcat.com's Spec Wizard. Spec Wizard is a unique tool that allows you to specify a product in minutes, not hours, by turning a specification into a simple to use website. Just select the products and options you want to specify and generate a three-part CSI specification in multiple formats. And best of all, it's free. And it requires no registration. You don't even need to send them your email address. It's all free, just like everything at RCAT. So go to entrearchitect.com slash RCAT, entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T, and try the better way of specifying products. RCAT's Spec Wizard. Do you remember when you started your small firm? It was no small feat. It took lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been busy, insanely busy, ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than the dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. 
file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free for 30 days. That's free for 30 days. No catch, no credit card. Free. 30 days. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started. Gusto, RCAT, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So once you, for Upcodes, you got to that point where your brother and, and you had created this, this product, it's tested, it's working, um, now you want to grow it, right? And so now you need to get some sort of financing. You're either going to have to put it out as a product and hopefully you get some revenue so that you can reinvest it into the product, uh, or you're going to need some outside investment in order to do that a little bit quicker. And so what was your choice with Upcodes? So so we went down the, the road, or some people refer to it as the endless treadmill, but of <laughs> going for, <laughs> for, going for uh, VC funding. Um, because we knew it would be a long project and one that would be hard to bootstrap. So, so you have, j just to summarize, like you have the two ways you can bootstrap it, you can create revenue and that revenue can sustain the business and help you grow organically. And there's a lot of very successful companies that have, that have done so like Basecamp, the project management software, um, ha has done that very well. And I, I think that's it. Some people look at VC backed companies and think that's the, the kind of, um, uh, the, I, I don't recall it, but like they have the, the stamp of approval from, from these VC companies, but in reality, it's significantly harder. And I think much more impressive if you can bootstrap the company. So that's one option is bootstrapping. The other is getting outside investment, VC investment, angel investment to, um, bridge you between day one when you have zero revenue and when the company's profitable. Um, so that's the, the route we chose is go to going down the VC route. Um, like you mentioned before, we, we did end up going to Y Combinator, but early on we, we applied, I think the first time, uh, didn't get in, ex ex uh, we before had, before you get into it, explain what Y Combinator yeah, is for people who don't know. So, so Y Combinator is a early company, um, accelerator, um, so, or incubator. So they, they take, I think around hundred or 120 companies twice a year and for an intensive three, four month program, they inject a little bit of cash. Um, and they give their advice and, and they really kind of push them and create this just pressure cooker of, cooker of companies, uh, that will then go on to what's called demo day when you kind of graduate from the program and you get up on stage and you pitch to a bunch of investors and, and try and collect investment money outside of Y Combinator. Um, so it, it, it helps in, in a couple of ways. One is it's, it is a good stamp of approval if you're going out for, for venture funding. Uh, but more importantly, I think that it gives you a very big community. Um, so you can draw on not only the experts from Y Combinator, uh, these kind of seasoned entrepreneurs who have gone out and done it themselves and can offer advice, but also your, your fellow, um, uh, founders in, in the program, uh, that you can tap on, you can, you can get their insights and, and, uh, their feedback, uh, but also kind of share in the ups and downs of, of inevitably, uh, any startup or starting any company. Yeah. Are, are all those companies brought together physically? Are they in the same building or the same area? 
Yeah, they are. So they have to be there present um, in Mountain View. Um, so in the Bay Area, so near San Francisco. And there's multiple events a week, but you do work independently. So everyone has their own office space. Oftentimes it's just an apartment or we work or some kind of shared um, office space. Uh, but multiple times a week, everyone gets together into the same room. Uh, you'll pitch to each other. You'll practice pitching. You'll hear um, other founders come in. Some of the alums like like Dropbox, Drew Houston would come in and talk to us. Um, Airbnb, the founders from there would come in and you could hear them. You could ask some questions uh, and they'll get experts in different domains to come in and either give talks or, or Q&As. And then so so you went through that program and then what happened at the end of that program for you? So for us, we we ended the program and we were looking for uh, for uh, seed capital. So we're going to do our first proper fundraise. So up to, um, up to that point, you were you were self-funded. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Y Combinator puts in um, uh, some capital. Uh, but previous to Y Combinator putting in that initial capital, we we had been self-funded. Right. But even um, y, so this y Combinator was, is only a few thousand dollars, right? It was like ten or twenty thousand dollars. It, it used to be twenty thousand. It's actually much more significant now. I think it's one hundred and twenty thousand. Okay. Um, so, but still not. It's, it, it's still not a million dollars. It's it's or half a million dollars. It's it's enough to sort of get the idea developed and and executed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the the expense of hiring software engineers in, in the Bay Area is just just enormous. Um, so, with that budget, it it only gets you a couple months. For a software engineer, which is just mind blowing, um, and and really <laughs> frustrating in, in in many ways. Uh, so that's, it's a whole lot of money, but it, it actually here it's it's hard to stretch that to go very very far. We've always been as frugal as possible. So so um, I, I don't we've only hired I believe one software engineer from Bay Area, but we actually this is a whole another topic. But we actually work as much as possible um, as a remote team, so drawing talent from from everywhere we can. Um, that, that's a whole other topic, but it, happy to dive into that too. But um, yeah, I'll just mention quickly. So prior to Y Combinator, we were just going off of our um, our funds that I had saved up working as an architect uh, and and my brother from from his previous job. So we were self-funded for many, many months. And then we got that initial funding from Y Combinator, graduated Y Combinator, and then raised uh, a larger seed round um, afterwards. And then what what did you do with that larger seed round? So then we went out and started to uh, expand the team a little bit. Uh, now, going back to what you said early on about the litigation with ICC. So actually kind of funny story here. We raised our seed round. We are in South Bay. Um, I think it took around a month and we were just doing multiple meetings a day, going out, pitching as many VCs as we could, taking as many meetings as we could, meeting angels. Uh, and we finally closed the round. We were absolutely exhausted from this Y Combinator program followed by doing the raise. Uh, we were ready to go back home and collapse and 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 go into a coma for a month. Uh, right when we got home, there was a uh, summons on our doorstep from oh. from ICC. So I didn't so realize it, the timing for that. Yeah, it was it was. Um, so you didn't even it, have time were, to celebrate. No, it, like literally not at not a minute. Um, so so unfortunately, it it uh, yeah, so so it 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 uh, was definitely challenging uh, early on because when we anticipated using this fundraise to build out the team and build out these products and ship these products quicker and faster and and more of them, uh, all of a sudden we're like we're we're saying to ourselves, 
oh my gosh, like we're going to have to save a lot of this fundraise to defend ourselves in, in this litigation. If you don't have enough money to defend yourselves, you you're, you default lose. So um, so a lot of that initial funding went to the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Which you're still fighting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we're about a year and a half into it. Um, the If anybody wants to hear the details about the um, about the lawsuit, if you're in the Facebook group at entrearchitect.com slash group, it's a private group, but any architects are allowed in. Um, that video is in there. Just search up codes and you'll find it in, in that uh, Facebook group. It, we went deep into this into the lawsuit. That was a, the whole conversation was about that. Um, the so a couple of questions. That's very interesting with the timing. Uh, first first couple of questions, and you can answer these or not. But um, how many investors did you end up having invest with you? Yeah. So so at that point, and where we call the. I sorry, I, I think I mentioned it as a seed, but we actually consider it a pre-seed. Okay. So we've done two funding rounds to date. So we did a pre-seed and a seed. And that initial funding round, I believe we had around um, 10 or 12 investors, um, everyone from angels, so individuals, um, also friends and family, um, to medium-sized firms. Um, so kind of in that lower or, or smaller half of, of the spectrum. Was that still after uh, Y Combinator? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So is is at uh, demo day. And then what uh, would would you be willing to share how much you raised in that pre-seed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we raised, I think, seven hundred and eighty thousand. Okay. And then how how long between the the pre-seed and then the second second seed round or the seed? I round? think it was. Yeah. So I think it was around eight or twelve months to to the next round. Um. Yeah, I believe, I believe eight or 12 months. And then are, and, are those new investors? So it's a little bit of both. Um, so a lot of our existing investors doubled down, mm-hmm. uh, one tripled. So they, what's called like a follow on investment, um, which is quite important for signaling. Yeah. So when you go out to new investors, you want to make sure that your current investors have put in a little bit more because uh, it's a, it, it means that they believe in you and, and the product's going well. Um, so we got our... Existing investors put in a little bit more, had good signaling, went out to external investors and raised a little bit more from external investors. And this time we went out and raised from some larger funds. So so in that second round, we introduced larger VCs. So we had then on what's considered the cap table, basically everyone who's invested spanned between uh, friends and family, angels, all the way up to a larger VC. And then how much did you raise in the second second round? Uh, we haven't uh, disclosed that okay. publicly. Okay. Um, and so, so, um, so is that where you are now? When was that last round? So that last round was towards the end of last year. So 2018. I would say that's right. Okay. Yeah. So towards the end so of uh, 2018. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And so, exactly. so where's the company now in terms of the idea and the development of it? Yeah. So, so now we're we're starting to build out the team. Uh, what we wanted to do early on and, and hire and, and bring some of these experts in. So um, I'd say we're middle of the ground between being very, very conservative and being one of these companies that just tires and gets very bloated and increases burn with, with some of these raises. So we're probably in, in, in the middle, maybe leaning a bit more towards cautious. So we're, we're slowly adding on and, and hiring more people and building out the team. Um, maintaining our two focuses, both on Upcode's web, so the online database, and then also upcodes AI, um, uh, the automated uh, spell check. 
That's super interesting and very valuable information for anybody who wants to sort of go go down the route. What what was like the total time from, you know, deciding, okay, I'm going to do this full time to where you are now? How long has that been? Yeah, great question. I think it's been just shy of three years. Okay. Um, so it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a while now. It's been an interesting road and it, it it's been about three years, but it, it feels probably like 10 years with everything that's happened yeah. in that, uh, yeah. in and, that time. And, it, and the company, it's still not guaranteed, right? That you'll succeed. Right. I mean, you've, you've done right. great with the, with the company, the company's growing, you have 200,000 monthly users on the, on the site. It's going in the right direction, but there's no guarantee that it's going to, to continue. Um, but it's, you're moving along very, very well. And so, uh, it's exciting to, to hear your story and your journey. And so what's, what's the, the next step? What's, what's sort of the future of upcodes where you're other than AI, uh, it sounds like AI is sort of the, the next big thing that'll probably be the thing that, that grows much more than the first piece of it. Um, but what's, what's the future of upcodes? Yeah. So, so I guess what we, we consider the North star or where we'd like to get in the future, um, is starting to reduce the amount of time in, in permitting and when you go for plans review. Um, so it eliminating as much of that wait time as possible. So getting as much structure around the submission, uh, but as well the the review from the government bodies. So for us, the, the next step is building these relationships with the government where they can start to utilize some of this technology. They can say, Either the um, the architect does a report, they run upcodes AI on on the building, and it says, you know, it's passed the ADA, it's passed these things in building codes, and it's documented it very well. Uh, it's created a report, and they can give that report to the government, uh, and the government can start to expedite that process quicker than what we experience today. Um, so, I, I guess it's it's trying to tighten that loop and, and close that loop and get get these projects. Um, um, approved quicker and, and quicker and more and more efficiently and and i'll add just very quickly uh, and bringing some transparency to that process um we we think it's it's kind of crazy that you you would have a building application and you have no idea whether this is going to be approved or, or not approved and and why and, and and also the variability in these ahjs or plan examiners who might interpret a certain code section a different way and it, there's a lot of opaqueness around the, the process. And I think for, for us, if we can bring a structured tech product to, to this process, it should bring a lot more transparency. You as the architect should have a lot more um, uh, uh, confidence that, that that application will be accepted. Or, or if not, you, and you want to have a variance or you want to um, argue a particular area of the code, you should, you should be as well equipped as possible yeah, for that process. A huge challenge. A huge challenge. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're talking not only about technology, uh, but you're talking about people and you're talking about bureaucracies and, and tradition and the way it's always been and, um, and stepping on a lot of toes and collaborating and bringing other people along with you. And so, so many moving pieces to that. But it, but thank you for doing that for as an architect. Thank you for doing that, because not only does it make my job easier as an architect, uh, because I don't want to be searching building codes and making sure that I have but I want my buildings to be safe and I want them to meet the code. I also want the cost to be, um, uh, be brought down because I think a lot of the, the, the construction costs, I'm a residential architect and a lot of the cost in residential architecture are these multiple regulations that keep growing and keep growing and keep growing that makes 
uh, construction more expensive, makes the design process more expensive. If we can have technology that would allow us to, to expedite that process in a much more efficient way, and if it's even automated that as we're developing it, it's actually being checked and made sure that it's going to happen. So when we do submit it, all they're doing is checking that the software says that it passes and it passes and we all agree and we move along, the cost will come down. And that, that that's exactly our hope as well. Yeah. Very, very exciting. Uh, Scott, thank you very much for, for coming on here and, and telling us your story, sharing, sharing the, the journey that Upcodes has had. Hopefully, as you move along and grow and this prospers, I'd love to have you come back on and give us updates along the way. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Mark. It's great to share the story, and I'd love to be back. Yeah, great. I have um, that one final question that I want to ask you that I ask everybody. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think, um, and, and relating it back to some of our early, early um, day processes, was trying to identify areas that you can automate or that you can you can bring in a technology solution to to help relieve some of the pressure from yourself or that you can you can kick out of house um, um, so you can do externally and I think really leveraging uh, those two things so one is leveraging tech products that that can reduce your time but then also going to places like Upwork and and getting people to help you out with that process if you can send it abroad or you can send a specialist elsewhere in the country I, I think can um, help you focus on your core job and the things that you're really good at and you can specialize more in certain areas I, I know that's been tremendously helpful um, for us yeah uh, through the process and not only will it allow you to focus on the things that you're good at you'll be happier because you'll be doing the things that you're good at yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Cool. So um, on the web, it's up.codes. If you want to find upcodes, you can search upcodes, you'll find them. But but the website is up.codes. Uh, on Twitter, the company Twitter is upcodes. They update you on all the things that are going over the, on over at upcodes. Um, Scott, this was a very valuable conversation. I appreciate, appreciate you coming here and being so transparent and sharing your story with us here at Entree Architect Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. If you like this episode, your friends might like it too. You can share this episode at entrearchitect.com slash episode 279. You can just pop that link into an email and send it off to your friends and let them know what's happening here at the Entree Architect podcast. That's how we're growing. We're growing one, one referral after another. That's how we're doing it one at a time. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 279 to share this episode with Scott Reynolds and Upco of Upcodes uh, with your friends. We'd, we'd love for you to do that. Um, if you want to join the membership over at Entre Architect, it's, it's got everything you need to build a successful business. We have monthly online training. We have an archive of over 50 uh, training sessions with different experts. We have a full video library of additional videos. We have, we have uh, products and resources and all the different things that you need to build a better business and a member forum on Slack with hundreds of architects just like you ready to inter, inter, interact and to learn from one another and share with one another in a private member forum. So go check that out at entrearchitect.com join and learn all about the Entree Architect membership. If you are an entrepreneur architect, and you probably are if you run or own your own small firm, if you do, you're an entree architect. 
and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.